to the Console Crusade Podcast. Here we talk video game news, retro games, and never count all off's most recent disguise. I am EJ Olson, and joining me today for the fifth time in two weeks to, for some reason, talk Nintendo is my esteemed colleague, Nick Durheim. How doth you fare this evening, sir? Don't talk like that. You've never, never spoken that way. I, I was, I'm trying something new. I'm mixing it up. <laughs> I don't like it. But yeah, there has been there has been a glut of Nintendo news and literally nothing else. I mean, it's January, dude. This it's usually extremely slow in January as we ramp up to spring. Spring's the new fall, you know, when it comes to video game releases. But everything that's happening in spring, we heard about last fall. So it's uh, it's pretty slow. But we have a few things we want to talk about. Transition, transition, transition. I'm gonna cut this out. No, you should probably keep that. That's a good. That's a good tune. I think the biggest thing that happened today was the Fire Emblem Direct from Nintendo. Correct. But I don't want to get to that quite yet. All right. A couple things we want to mention. Minor things that has happened in the world of video games since we last spoke. There was a report from a company called Super Data. I think is that right? Super Data. Uh, and came out and confirmed that uh, the Xbox has only sold 26 million units to PS4's 55 million. That's a lot less than I thought. I, I'd, I'd heard numbers floating around about 30 as of like September last year, but 26? 26. Man, if people give shit for Wii U selling 13. Only 13 million. And to be fair, that's that's not a very big number. Only twice as much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the PS4 is selling exceptionally well. That's This is... I don't want to say unprecedented, but given like the current climate and and hardware sales in the last decade. Yeah, they're absolutely dominating. We haven't seen anything like this since, I don't know, we. Well, unfortunately, I, I don't think they're going to live to see 100 million units. I know I had speculated previously that I think they could, but this console generation is ending next year, whether Sony wants it to or not. Uh, the Scorpio is going to come out, it's going to be competitive, and it's going to be exponentially stronger. I have no doubt. It'll be competitive like power-wise, but I think it's more dependent on the pricing and the messaging and the advertising that Microsoft puts behind their new hardware. That's true. There are a lot of things that could go wrong, as we've seen. Like Xbox One sold way worse than the PS4, probably because of the price alone, because they had to bundle and connect and be really weird, try to be that media box. You know, I think they're probably... Quite a number of factors that went into the Xbox One failing. And f- I think failure is probably an appropriate term, uh, especially when you consider that like the whole idea of a console generation is like we, we, we've got these the console twins going head to head, right? Sony has, has d- they don't even think about Microsoft anymore at this point based on those numbers. But I think the Xbox probably failed for, I mean, the price was a huge point. $100 more for a console that was substantially weaker, I think. Yeah, it's been pretty shaky. It kind of reminds me of how the, the when the PS3 came out. Like, I would be interested to see what the first three years of the 360 and the PS3 were like in comparison to the current generation. I think they had opposite problems, though. You know, the the PS3, Sony came out and wanted to sort of position this thing as like the ultimate, you know, premium experience, right? It was just boutique item. But it was also like a glut of things that people didn't necessarily want, and then they're charging them for it. You know, Blu-ray hadn't really taken off yet, so like the people who did buy a PS3 were buying a $600 Blu-ray player. Didn't it have a CF card reader? Or am I crazy? Am I imagining that? Oh my god, they would, wouldn't they? That's just so... That's so 2006 Sony. That's ridiculous if that's true. Pretty sure it had an SD card reader, which the Wii also had, but that's not a... That's not a knock against it. 
Okay, I might be crazy. I know I had an SD card reader initially. And like five USB ports or something stupid. Had the entirety of a PS2 inside of it. But, you know, that that, that came down to, to branding and messaging and, and price. But the features were there. The Xbox had the opposite problem. They wanted to, they marketed this thing as, hey, we've got Netflix and you can plug your cable box into this thing and, and control it with your voice. Like, cool. Like, no one, that's like a quality of life thing. That's not what you... That's not the hill you die on. It's it's the price, really what it boils down to from just a consumer perspective that isn't like in the know of what the Xbox One's power is versus the PS4's power. To an extent. But again, had the Xbox been like a substantial, more powerful, or more you know feature-dense, if it was a more robust system than the PS4, $100 is negligible uh, for, for a lot of people who were buying these things. But the fact that it was weaker, you had to pay for Xbox Live Gold to use... Things like Netflix and Hulu. Their free game program is not as robust as PlayStation's. It's comparable, though. It now is. It wasn't comparable. It, they finally caught up. They've dropped some of those weird paywalls. And I didn't realize that the Games with Gold was uh, a more recent, like yeah. the the way it looks. It, even even now that the prices are comparable across the board, PS4 is running games at 1080p, and, and Xbox One struggles to hit 900p for a lot of these titles. I know power isn't everything. Like, look at the Switch, right? Games can look beautiful and run well enough on, on weak hardware. It's not all about numbers, but when we're talking identical experiences as far as gameplay, you know, and, and, and you're getting something that looks worse, it looks and runs worse. Like, easy decision. But, yeah, price. $500 at launch. $500 in all of those launch games were coming to to Xbox 360. Almost all of them. Well, they're also coming to PS3 too. Well, initially, I don't think there was going to be a lot of people jumping ship, right? I think if you were an Xbox fanboy, you, you stayed within that ecosystem or at least wanted to. And then after the whole thing with the always online and the, you, you know, you had to be connected to the internet or else you're shut out of your Xbox, that whole travesty and DRM and whatever. Like that kind of got people thinking, like, oh, maybe I'm switching to Sony this generation, and that was that was the scuttlebutt. That's what I heard from you know our own little echo chamber. Our friends all said, "Fuck Xbox, I'm going to PlayStation this gen." Yeah, it doesn't help that the exclusives, which can really sell like one system or another, there wasn't really anything for Xbox until what Halo Five. That was like a year after, I think, because we're only like a three year cycle. But like even that wasn't really like compelling enough people weren't really as jazzed about halo as they were like the past two releases from them and then gears didn't come out until just this last year and that you know that sold really well but it's there's not really there hasn't been a really strong reason for people to adopt uh, the xbox one over the ps4 because they are so comparable but the ps4 has much better exclusives oh oh far and away that's the reason the ps3 made a comeback toward the end of its life is they said hey we can only do what we can do, and let's make good games, you know, and, and hope that sells the hardware. And it did. It worked out for them, you know. And it doesn't help Xbox that all of their exclusive games are no longer exclusive. They all are coming to Windows 10. So people like me, who bought an Xbox One just for the Xbox exclusives and the future Xbox exclusives, right, I now have no need for that because I can play a better version of it on my PC, yeah, and I wonder how much that has really affected the sales of those games in general because I I don't really think that there are as many like competent uh, gaming PCs out there as there are gaming consoles. I still think that that's like a niche thing and when you buy into a gaming PC, you are the one that's willing to spend, you know, $800 or more to get a much better experience than you would if you bought a $400 box. So I, I don't know what the install base is like on Windows 10 
users that are doing those, you know, cross by or or play anywhere uh, type things that Microsoft is doing now. Like even with third party games, like Resident Evil Seven is coming out, and that's going to be a a play anywhere game. So if you buy that game on Xbox One, you can also play it on Windows Ten with your same account. And I wonder what they're going to be doing with Scorpio. If Scorpio is going to be a gaming console as we think of it, or is it going to be more of a PC? And it's kind of like they're already kind of blurring the lines with like the architecture and the the features. Like these consoles are, you know, media machines also, and they can do a lot of things that you can do with a PC, except you don't have a mouse and keyboard. Essentially, I mean, isn't the isn't Xbox One running Windows Ten? It's running a a type of Windows Ten. It's not. It's obviously not feature complete. So who knows? I mean, Microsoft, besides the Xbox, they're only recently getting into the hardware game with the Surface. And that's actually made like huge leaps and bounds forward to be like a competitor with the iPad. It's not as ubiquitous, but it's probably got better features. And I wonder what this means for Microsoft as a company, if they're actually going to be trying to stay in the hardware market or if they're like, you know what, if we can just sell these same games, but on Windows 10, that's a lot cheaper on our back end and people are getting the same experience. PCs and game consoles are, are totally becoming homogenized. Like they are the same thing at this point. Except you don't have to pay for online with the PC. Exactly. But, I mean, at the same time, you get what you pay for to an extent. Like, you do get those free games. You do get, you know, better matchmaking than you might get with uh, some, you know, indie title that you have to do, like, some P2P shit that just doesn't work ever for some reason. Unless you, like, op- you go to your settings and you open up a firewall port and, like, you do port forwarding and it's just a big pain in the ass. And everything just kind of works on a console release. Well... I would totally disagree with that. I don't think they, things work. They, oftentimes things don't work. You just don't have options. But not as bad as every... Have you have you ever paid attention to a PC release of any AAA game? They're terrible. It's never working until like two or three weeks after the fact. I think video game consoles have a very important role to play when it, when it comes to our entertainment and in, a, in the video game landscape. Like, I think we need consoles, but... Again, Sony is doing it right where they have all these like must play exclusives, hit after hit after hit. And, and they make it exclusive and say, like, we are giving you a reason to buy our machine. You know, they're giving people a compelling reason to buy their hardware. And Microsoft, I think, has completely eliminated that. And, and again, I own Xbox and PS4. I, I probably won't be buying a Scorpio because games are no longer exclusive. You know, and my Xbox One as it is, is a, is, it's not even a Blu-ray player. It's a piece of shit media player. It is garbage. There are audio sync issues and Netflix has a perpetual hitch and stutter that they've addressed. I mean, I think they addressed it almost two years ago and they haven't patched it. I mean, it's a garbage media player. My PS3 is my de facto Blu-ray player in the living room. The Xbox One just sits there for the most part. Get with it, Microsoft. I don't know what they're going to do next. They obviously have the Scorpio. I think it's going to be a really powerful machine, but like I said, that's going to be a boutique item. Yeah, I wonder who they're trying to sell it to. Because obviously there's only 20, what, 26 million Xbox One users. They're not getting people to upgrade. And if they did, that would be such a small sales figure. They have to, they have to persuade people that have not owned the new hardware into buying this boutique item. I, I just don't understand how they're going to be able to sell that to people. Yeah, I think they've, they've come out and they've said several things that lead us to believe that, oh, this is only, this is more of a side grade, like the PS Pro. Make it just a new generation then. That's, that's what they're doing. If they did that, that would be such a kick in the pants for Sony. They would be left behind in a way that I think they would not be ready for. But again, that's, it's all about how powerful it actually be. And if they can get people to develop for it and actually, you know, like utilize the hardware and make 
compelling games and compelling reasons for people to switch. Switch? Switch. <laughs> Damn it. Can't get away with it. <laughs> you tried. Uh, you know, that's, a, that's what's interesting about, about video games right now is I think the last generation sort of spoiled people, not, not just consumers, but developers as well. We had this 10-year gener- console generation almost. Right. Was it, was it, I mean, it's technically still going, but from, from oh, late 05 or was it early 06? The 360 came out in 2005 and then the Wii and the PS3 came out in 2006. So eight years. And then the PS3 and, and the Xbox One came out in 2013. So yeah, they had games coming out in 2015. Right. So that's like a 10 year generation. 10 years. Definitely developers got used to the hardware. You saw the greatest games coming out later in the life cycle, like Halo 4 came out in 2012. I bought that game, and that game looked fantastic. It utilized every inch of the 360's capabilities. Right. And I don't want hardware developers like Sony and Microsoft to, like, jump the gun and abandon this generation because I really think that there are diminishing returns as far as, far as power goes. I want this to be like another long console generation. I think that would be beneficial for players of the systems. I think the current hardware is, is too underpowered. Given where we are, and I know games, oh, games don't look any better after a certain point. That's not true. We just don't see games develop to their full potential, knowing that we've got this uh, hardware handicapping us as we develop these games. You know, if you see what a, a high end, not not like an insane machine, but just a high end PC is actually capable of, there is still room for a meaningful upgrade. And obviously, we're never going to have the jump from from two D sprite based graphics to polygon three D environments like. We're never going to see that kind of jump again unless VR surprises everybody, which that doesn't look like that's headed that direction either. So so we aren't going to have that, but there's still a lot of room for games to not only look much better, but run so much better. And now we've got 4K coming in. I know I'm not a fan of 4K. I think there's a place for it. I don't think it's my living room, at least not yet. You know, and Sony's trying to push that with the PS Pro, and uh, it's still it's a little early for that, but... There's still a lot of room for growth. And like I said, the last generation spoiled consumers and developers. You know, that was an unusual generation. Generally, console generations lasted four, maybe five years, you know, before a new machine came out. And I think it was the, the crash in 2008 sort of threw a kink in everybody's plans. And it just, you know, took that much longer to recover. And it, it pushed back, pushed everything back a few years. And that's why we didn't get a new console until 13. And it's also, I think, part of the reason why those consoles weren't the biggest upgrades. You know, it's just, it was like, they, they were behind on everything a couple of years. And I think that's why if, if Xbox does push this forward, it's going to be a freaking beast. But I, I almost guarantee it's going to be overpriced. The thing's going to be $700 or something. Yeah, so, so, so why? You know, like, if they try and push this out and nobody buys it, then that's just going to, you know, scare developers away from trying to really take that power and utilize it into a meaningful way. But if they, if everyone just waited a few years until everything was a lot cheaper, then we could have a meaningful upgrade, but also be a reasonable price. Cause I'm not shelling out five, $600 on a Scorpio. If it's just like, as like not even as pure, powerful as my computer that I built. Right. You know, and people who bought a, a, th- a Xbox one or a PS4, they're not spending that much money on a console that has, you know, marginally better frame rate. Like if you did a side by side, you could, kind of tell the difference but it's not meaningful like ps4 definitely has a meaningful upgrade from the ps3 the xbox one is definitely more powerful than the 360 and to get that kind of like side-by-side comparison and be able to tell you're not gonna be able to get that for a reasonable price and again that it comes down to hardware manufacturers wanting to profit on their 
on, on the things they produce. And it, it was a whole line of profit. Right. But it's, I don't know. Some people subscribe to the idea that you, you take a loss on your hardware and you make it up with software. And I think you can do that. It's not as, as, as black and white as that. Like if you say, oh, we're going to make an insanely powerful console, this is going to be a high end gaming PC. We're going to sell it for 250. Like you're going to be losing a lot of money. And Microsoft is sure as hell not doing that, especially after canceling games like Scalebound. You know, after putting tens of millions into a game and then it not like coming to fruition, you can't imagine that the the guys at the head are like, you know what, well, how's it going in the Xbox realm? And they're like, oh, you know, we're just bleeding money. They're not going to get the, the go-ahead to sell a console for, you know, they're not going to sell it at a loss. And, and, and Microsoft has had some some rough times with, with hardware. And, you know, Windows Phone, anyone? They go down that fucking hole. Oh, the Zune. The Zune. Your beloved Zune. It was so fantastic. Rest in peace. I know you've had, you got some good, good memories with the old Zune there. They're attempting, like you said earlier, to blur the lines between what, what a video game console is and, and what a, a home PC is and what an entertainment machine looks like. And they, they want to redefine what a video game generation even is. They're going to come in and they're going to release this really powerful system that'll still play all your Xbox One games and, and have this backwards compatibility built in. And, and instead of, you know, we saw it with the PlayStation Pro, maybe maybe less clear cut console generations. And we see these iterative upgrade cycles where things are getting incrementally more and more powerful. I don't think that's going to work as a business model. I don't think it is. I don't think consumers are ready for that. Think about it. Our friends essentially grew up in a, in a world where their console generation lasted a decade. Our formative years were spent with this one machine. And then we were adults and some people had kids and they're still playing these same machines. That's kind of what we've come to expect. And, and that's just not how it's been if you look at the history of video games. This is like an experiment for them, right? They're trying to blur the lines and they're trying to redefine how these things work and, and how we interact. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I buy it. Yeah, I'm, I'm much more not concerned, but... I'm very intrigued to see what uh, Microsoft does pushing forward software-wise, because if they do continue to blur that line, that would be cool, because I have Windows 10, and I have a computer that's definitely capable of playing Xbox games, so if I could, instead of buying the new hardware, if that is just like a boutique thing and to onboard people that don't necessarily have a gaming computer, I think that could be cool just to broaden their, their user base and be able to sell to more people. So we have a couple of buddies who do a podcast called A Precipice Between Two Hills. And they were talking some smack. They called us out on their, their last episode. They said, the console crusaders, those guys don't even own consoles. They're PC gamers. We got to clear it up here. We got to clear the air, all right? And I'll, I'll start off by saying that the current console generation is closer to a PC than anything else. Right. And that I've owned every single Nintendo console that they've ever made. Right. Except for the Virtual Boy. And you're now officially a retro collector, motherfucker. You're on board. Don't put me in that, that vaunted that vaunted landscape. <laughs> I'm going to put you in that box and I'm going to keep you under my bed. I don't believe for a moment that you have storage space under your bed because you've already got too many boxes of crap that you won't get rid of. That's true because I am a collector and I hoard things and I should probably get rid of some shit. But you, you've been bitten by the collector bug, man. You've been infected. Don't say that. That's that so blood. dumb. <laughs> the collector blood. <laughs> Whatever. Welcome to the Collector Blood so Podcast. Anyway, we're we're going to clear the air, all right? We both own high-end PCs, and we both play a lot of games on those PCs. And what I told Sir Maximus Bro, I, I mean, we, neither of us play any PC-exclusive games. We're playing, we're playing AAA titles that were developed for consoles, and we are playing them with controllers. 
what I told Max is these AAA multi-plat games, I want the most optimal experience. And if that means I play The Witcher 3 on my PC, that's what I'm going to do. But then there are games like Titanfall, where I said, hey, Titanfall runs at 60 frames a second. It looks beautiful on PS4, and I have multiplayer with my friends. I bought it on PS4. So just got to get that out there. I play a lot of games on PC. I'm playing a lot of my AAA titles on PC, but I'm essentially just playing on a really powerful Xbox on my couch, you know, with a controller in my hand and my dick in the other. And uh, to give a nice shout out to our prior Games of 2016 podcast, you played Sunset Overdrive last year, which was an Xbox One exclusive. One of the very few. And I love the damn game. I thought it was wonderful. And then we both played some Wii U games. We both played the two games worth playing on the Wii U. That's true. The only, the only two. That, that's not true. There were like... The two that came out last year, because neither of us got Color Splash, and who knows if we ever will. You probably will. Fucking Nintendo is recalling... You saw that, right? Nintendo's recalling Wii U's. Yeah, just yanking them off the shelves, man. Can't get rid of them fast enough. Don't do that. There are people like me, Nintendo, who have the Switch pre-ordered, but would love to give you $170 for a new Wii U. Like, There's no way they're selling you a Wii U for $170 when it took them 200 Fifty dollars to produce it. They're recalling the things and putting them in a warehouse for someone to find and sell later in twenty years. Sell, sell the scrap. Keep them and artificially inflate the price. Some for four hundred dollars. One, one price cut. One flash out. I will buy a new Wii U because, like we mentioned last time, they have an illness. I well, yeah. I, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I am mentally ill. I have a disease. You gotta feed it. We said last time. The Wii U is, is the last really, truly optical media-based system where it's actually reading the disc as you play it. And there are downsides to that. But what that means is is in 20 years, when... you know, well, And this probably won't matter because all those games are coming to Switch, like we said. But in 20 years, when I've got you know a teenage kid who I'm like, yo, I'm going to kick your fucking ass at some Smash Bros. And I can hook up my Wii U, an HD system, play with my GameCube controllers, and, and have... Oh, who, who knows what entertainment's going to look like in 20 years? I'm, I'm probably talking out of my ass. We're going to have virtual, you know, television that implant in our eyeballs or whatever. It's going to be like Minority Report. Right, right. <laughs> Realistically, I'm going to have a, mo- a modern-ish console, and, and I'll be able to play these games going forward because they weren't tied to a digital marketplace that doesn't exist. Half the uh, Xbox or PlayStation games, you just you install them, and then that's just copy protection. The disc is only used to verify that you own the disc. It, it's, it's totally useless. To prematurely cut you down at the knees, though, there's already a working Wii U emulator, and in 20 years, you're just going to be playing these games on your computer, and you download them off some torrent site. That's true. But guess what? I, I'm, I'm looking back here at my, my collection right now. You'd rather play it on the hardware, and that's totally fair. A lot of Super Nintendo games down there, buddy, that I could be emulating. I can emulate those, like, on a calculator. I want to see that calculator. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing before we get to Nintendo. One more thing before we get to Nintendo. That I, th- I found interesting, and I know I, I want to bring it up because you and I have had many a discourse about ethics in gaming journalism. So I, I found this interesting when I was reading uh, my, my news feed. Uh, the headline is, developer admits, quote-unquote, we screwed it after game website exposes a review blacklist threat. I guess we should preface this by saying, I think Bethesda made headlines with Doom. You know, they said we're not sending out review copies or codes to anybody. Usually, in the past, what that means is their game is really bad. Especially when the only exposure that they had given that game was the open beta for their multiplayer, which was not made by id Software. It was outsourced, and it was you know, arguably hot trash. Yeah, it did not go over well. Literally, nobody who plays Doom plays the multiplayer. 
No. Uh, in years prior, Ubisoft doing some really shady stuff with, you know, review embargoes aren't allowed to go up until 24 hours after the game's been out because they don't want people to know what a trash game they made and they want people to, you know, they want to get those early early buyers in and out the door before people realize this is a broken travesty of a game and, and no one should actually buy it. Especially with a pre-order, you know, bonus. A lot of those companies try to entice people to, you know, shell out the money first and then ask questions later. Pre-order should die. If we're talking software, pre-ordering hardware is one thing. I pre-ordered now two Nintendo Switch games only because I'm worried that there's going to be a shortage in my area. There's not going to be a shortage. There's not going to be a shortage. I mean, in my area, you never know. What if there's a mad rush? I'll give you a shortage in your area. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go put the B movie on. Get in the mood. Barry! <laughs> God. We're just going to make it a priority to mention the B movie in every podcast moving forward. Welcome to the B Movie Podcast. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so Badfly is the company that sent out these emails. Let me read the email to you, and this is going to be a little long winded. Yeah, I've never never heard of these people. Yeah, they are uh, developing, I believe, a shooter called Dead Effect Two. It's a mix, supposedly, of Dead Space and Max Effect. Uh, Mass Effect. Oh, aptly named <laughs> Max Effect. Mass space just didn't have the same kind of didn't sound as right. <laughs> well, that would have been a copyright infringement. Mass space. <laughs> My name is Tom. Justin Timberlake would just be knocking down their door. Oh yeah, Tom sold years and years ago. Now Justin Timberlake, for some reason, owns that. Did you know he's a part owner in the Memphis Grizzlies? Wow. Yeah. Should have put that in the developer info shinfo. <laughs> so anyway, the CEO for Badfly, his name is Lubomir Dykest. If I'm saying that right. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. <laughs> I, I'm so bad with names. Uh, Lubomir. He sent this email out. He says, quote, let me just mention one thing, though. This is an indie game, which, unfortunately, is very often compared with big budget games. And that's quite a problem and very much damages its reputation in final ratings. Please take into consideration the small team of developers, 11, who just try to develop a good shooter game. And that's about it. Unfortunately, a number of journalists have other, much bigger expectations from it, and that's very damaging for us eventually. All right, okay. I think that's sort of, um, it's not rude necessarily. I think it's bad bedside manner to mention something like this when, when you're, you're putting a game out there and giving review codes. I, I don't think that's, I guess I'm not a, a journalist and I'm not a part of the video game industry, so I wouldn't know. But I feel like based on what I've read, that's not something you usually do and probably shouldn't do. Yeah, it sounds just a little bit salty. I mean, even if he had just mentioned the fact that, hey, we have a small team developing this game, wink, wink, like, that would have been enough. But the fact that he goes on to, like, say, video game journalists implying that they have some ulterior motive, that seems sketchy. But he continues. Also, we're working on several other games that are definitely interesting. And if your review preview of Dead Effect 2 is very negative, you won't receive any keys from us in the future. <laughs> wow. Like, he just he came out. He just said it, dude. <laughs> Okay, I mean, yeah, he's just shooting himself in the foot by by doing that. But if you're an indie team of 11 people, you want as much exposure as possible. It doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. Like, let the work speak for itself. No, mission accomplished that. <laughs> like, here we are talking about it. Everyone else is talking about it. Not in a good way, though. Yeah. I mean, like, this is the kind of negative stuff that's, like, negative about the developer, not negative about the game. You want the thing you make to stand alone. It doesn't matter who made this game. This game is either worth playing or not. And, like, it's, you know, it's nice to take into account how many people made that game but there are plenty of games in the past 10 years that were made by a tiny team and turned out to be like fantastic he doesn't have to preface anything with that 
And then he just goes out and says, well, since we're so, you know, self-sufficient, us and my 11 friends, we don't need you to review our game. And like, he may be right, but he doesn't have to say it. (laughs) Makes you want to punch the fucking guy in the head because like, you really just said that. Like you, you started, you started okay. And then you got a little rough kind of basically pleading for good reviews. Oh, and then you said, if you don't like, fuck you. Like, dude, that is so mind boggling for, I mean, apparently this is a professional. This is a grown man. He also literally prefaced it by saying, you know, we're not professionals. Like, they're not part of a big studio. They don't have a PR guy. It's the same thing you see with, like, No Man's Sky, where they just did not have any inkling of what to do to, like, communicate their their message behind their game and, like, to talk about updates and that kind of stuff. So they just left it completely silent. And this guy is just coming out, and he's forward-facing and taking that role, and just he's clearly not up to the task. Clearly. And that is... It's really funny. I'll give him just the slightest, slightest benefit of the doubt. And, you know, these people that are making these games, they're definitely, you know, they have a vision. They're creative types, you know, they're they're passionate. So this guy is speaking from his heart, which is not a good idea when you're trying to be marketing your game. <laughs> and I know you have thoughts on the whole, you know, should video game companies send out copies for review? And I still think that having your game reviewed is very important. And if you're afraid to have your game reviewed, that says something about your game and about you. Marketing aside, you know, I th- obviously I think it's good marketing if you have a good game and you put it out there weeks in advance and people are talking about it. And I don't just mean conventional news sites. You know, a lot of people aren't going to Polygon and reading long-winded reviews. But games media is evolving. We see it with guys like, I mean, IGN's obviously sort of taking a cue from some of their former employees who have split off, you know, the kind of funny guys who they're changing the way the media sort of uh, uh, interacts. You know, it's it's Twitter, it's it's Facebook, it's listening to a podcast, it's Twitch, YouTube. I mean, it's it's not just you know going and reading a review, but it's people talk about your game. And so, obviously, you know, Bethesda kind of set a new precedent with that whole thing, and they're not going to be giving out review copies for their games. I think EA is quietly doing the same thing too, where it's like you get the review copy a day before the game comes out. And that's not necessarily enough time for these bigger review sites to get a deep dive in on it. And I do agree that, you know, places like IGN and Polygon, they are still definitely important. And I think they're more important for smaller, smaller studios, like these indie studios that have 11 people, because you don't need a news site to tell you that Dishonored 2 is coming out. You're seeing a commercial for that on TV. Right. And you can get the same kind of reviews from literally anyone, but you want that exposure and that exposure is not necessarily needed for these, you know, gigantic corporations like Bethesda and EA and Ubisoft. As a consumer, I want to see video game reviews. But that's the thing is these video game companies don't owe journalists anything. You know, a lot of these journalists are upset about these, these practices because it's hurting their business. It's hurting their bottom line. Right. I, I don't necessarily care about their bottom line. I don't care about fucking Ubisoft's bottom line. I care about my experience as a consumer. And I mean, I, I care about both of those industries to the point that, you know, if one of them fails, that's going to affect me as a consumer. But, you know, I, I have no stake in either of them. So I understand sort of the the uproar from the, from the journalists, quote unquote journalists. And a lot of these people aren't journalists, but you know what I mean. But as a consumer, like I said, I want my reviews. I want... Two weeks or more. I want to. I want to. I want to watch Let's Plays, and I want to. I want to hear what 
people I trust, whose opinions I trust, years of consuming their content. Like I trust these people. And if likely if they're telling me this game is not worth playing, hey, maybe I wait till that game takes a price cut. You know, I'm not gonna go spend sixty dollars on a game that people aren't enjoying. You know, and so I think on on these companies' parts, it's kind of shady to say, hey, you're not getting a review copy. We don't want our consumers to know anything about this game other than what we choose to reveal. And I think that's really not very, you know, like I said, not consumer friendly. Like you were saying earlier, people really shouldn't be pre-ordering these games. It's it's rewarding companies preemptively for a product you don't know that you're going to enjoy. So I don't think we as consumers, we shouldn't be, you know, buying these games day one anyway. Like It doesn't really matter that companies aren't getting review copies as early as they are. That's, that's hurting them because there's a a definite heightened uh, awareness when a game comes out. Like that's when people are talking about it the most, right? So that's when they're getting the most clicks from Google. That's when they're getting the most views on YouTube. So it's hurting them, but they're going to get that content out eventually because they still want to put that stuff out because it'll be relevant still a week later. It'll just be a little bit less relevant. So we can we could still you know go to IGN and watch a review on the next game from from EA or Bethesda, and it's not going to hurt us to wait a week to buy that game. And that's the root of it is we are all impatient. We just got to be patient. Got to wait a little bit. But guess what? A lot of these games we have been waiting for. Again, I'm impatient, knowing that I'm not part of the zeitgeist. Every everybody is experiencing something and they're talking about something, and I, I, I'm not a part of that. And I'm not often a part of it anyway, because I usually play games a year late. Yeah, I was going to ask, when was the last time you bought and played a game day and date it came out? Yeah, it, it, it is rare, but it happens a few times a year. And it's nice to be a part of that and, and to discuss the game and, and your experiences with, with other players. But uh, it's, it's I guess, more the principle of the matter for someone like me. But, you know, this tangibly sort of affects a lot of people. So it, it's just interesting to see somebody actually come out and, and threaten verbally like something we know that companies do like nintendo does this we don't know that other companies do this we know that one small unprofessional independent studio is has done this no we know there are plenty of first-hand accounts of reputable sites i i'm trying to remember the last uh the last major one i think it actually involved bethesda and someone didn't get a fallout 4 copy because they gave they said something negative about Bethesda. That's where we get into sort of, I don't want to say it's unethical or whatever, but it's it's really sketchy to me that someone said something that you didn't like, and so you're now cutting them off. It's it's, it's petty. It's obviously your prerogative, and it's your you have that right, but it's really petty. But we see like Nintendo does the same thing. If you say something bad about them, they're not sending a review copy when the next Pokemon game comes out. I think it just depends on a case to case basis. Like we don't know exactly what. The metric is like why Bethesda didn't sudden follow up forward to one pu- publication or what. Like if it's somebody who's just got a a beef against Bethesda and they're they're just trying to write a hit piece on Fallout Four, and they're getting a free copy. Like yeah, you know Bethesda doesn't have to send them a free copy if they want to review the game. They can't prevent them from reviewing the game, but they're not entitled to a free copy if their only goal is to just talk shit about it. But. A lot of these developers and a lot of these companies, they interpret anything negative as, you know, oh, these trolls and these blah, blah, blah. Like, no, sometimes people just have an honest opinion and they're going to, they're going to be very blunt about, you know, the way they feel. Maybe there are people out there who have it out for certain publishers or certain developers. Yeah. I think it just depends on a case by case basis. And 
it's up to the consumer to decide whether someone's opinion on a game is relevant. You know, good for Bethesda then for making a decision to say, you know, we're not going to play the game where we're picking and choosing. It's like, we're just not going to do it because we don't agree with this practice. Fine. And then they said in a, a very forward-facing like blog post, like, good on them. Yeah. And I, mean, I again, I don't like it because that affects me negatively. But, you know, at least they made a decision and, and like I said, they're setting a new precedent. But anyway, we, we've been talking now for fucking ever and we haven't even gotten to Nintendo yet. I'm going to try to remain positive. I have a few really, a few things that really irk me about what happened today. You're not going to stay positive. You're going to tear into it. And I want you to, because I want to hear what you actually think. Okay. Because I, in general, from after watching this, I was, I was fairly, you know, this is cool. I think what they showed, I think, I think, I think. Y'all know it's what I think because I'm saying it. Okay. What did Nintendo show? Because you haven't even said that. Nintendo, they had a Fire Emblem Direct today. We all, if you're listening to this, you know that. All three of you. All right. We're going to go in order here. Hit me. Fire Emblem Echoes Shadow of Valencia. What is this? It's a, I don't know if it's a retelling. It's not a remake. I think it's a revisiting of uh, the second Fire Emblem game. Is that is that right? Yeah. I, I believe it was the second one on uh, Famicom. Famicom in Japan. Yeah. Uh, and so they're bringing back those, those two main characters. Uh, what I really liked about what they're talking about from it is that it was kind of a it's kind of an outlier in the Fire Emblem series. Like, you play a Fire Emblem game, you kind of understand what the, the general thrust of the, the game is, right? Right. But this actually has... It actually showed, like, you're controlling a character and running around, and then they got into an encounter, which was then, like, the top-down strategy RPG thing, which I thought that was really cool. And I think that it's really good for me, because, you know, we never played these Famicom games, so I'd be able to play it in a way that I'm familiar with. You know, I've played the, the 3DS. I played Awakening a little bit. So I'm actually kind of excited to pick this game up to get kind of a alternate experience from Fire Emblem. Like there's actually, like you could build certain stats based on how you wanted to build your character. And I played Dark Souls and I like that. You have, a, you have a little more customization. So instead of just getting random, like, oh, you know, I leveled up. So sometimes I get a lot of buffs and sometimes I only get better attack. It takes a little bit of the randomness from it. Right, right. Which I appreciate. So that that is something I think is really great. And in this kind of the running thing of this whole what is inevitably gonna turn into a rant on my part, is everything they showed looked really fucking great. All of it. Even the Koei Tecmo uh, crossover. Uh, that looked awesome. I'm gonna buy it. Uh, so anyway, we'll get we'll we'll get there. But Shadows of Valencia it does look really great. I appreciate that they're kind of branching out while staying true to the core of, of what Fire Emblem is. And let me just say, I am so fucking glad. We had a Fire Emblem-specific direct where we had four new Fire Emblem games announced. Four years ago, this franchise was dead. It was dead. Nintendo, they axed the whole fucking thing. Fire Emblem Awakening was it. That was the end. And it, it did phenomenally. It sold over a million copies on the 3DS, and it revived the franchise. And as someone who has played every Fire Emblem game uh, that's that's been translated and released in America, that is fucking great. I am just so happy about that. So I'm inherently my, my disposition is not a negative one. I am glad this is happening. We got four games; they all looked awesome. I'm very happy about that. Here's my fucking beef, Nick. Here's my fucking beef. Is they come out with this direct? I'm sitting. I'm sitting here in class today, right? I'm sitting here doing some 3D modeling, trying to pay attention to what my professor's saying. Watching this direct, I had this kid next to me, kind of stank a little bit, kind of get got over, and was trying to watch the direct next to me. He's asking me questions, and I'm trying to do all these things. And I'm like, oh my god, it's Fire Emblem. Is that Lucina? Oh my god, I'm just freaking out. Okay, 
Okay, and I couldn't hear half of what was being said, so I was like, I was like, is this wait, is this Switch gameplay? That looks really good. Is that Switch? Is that Switch? I was freaking out. But no, guess what happened? They they jumped into Echoes. They jumped in the freaking 3DS. Available on 3DS Family of Systems. Seriously? Seriously? You have a brand new console launching in six weeks? And you, you're announcing a game that's coming out on fucking six-year-old hardware? I know they, they've said, oh, this these are our two pillars, you know. this They're going to exist alongside each other, and we're not going to abandon the 3DS. Fuck you. Abandon the 3DS. It's been six years. You have a new console. Your last home console is a complete and utter failure. It died. All right? D-O-A-N-O-A. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And so, for them to come out and say... We're gonna release a game on fucking 3DS instead of instead of the Switch. Blew me away. I was so my my my, my fist clenched up into a ball, and I was like, "This is so like Nintendo." And I know this game's been in development for way longer than we probably think. How, how difficult would it have been to port this game and just announce it as a Switch, as a Switch game? And that for a small sect of people, that right there is reason to buy the Switch. Where in a way that none of the other launch titles or even any of the titles announced in the first year. You know, are able to do. Oh, but guess what they did? Guess what they fucking did? They came out and no, no gameplay, no, no flashy graphic, just some generic typeface that said Fire Emblem Switch 2018 just to placate all you fucking, all of you loyal customers who are going to go out and drop $500 on launch day to buy our fucking ill conceived console that's going to totally fail because we're doing everything wrong again. See, I didn't get that immediate anger like you did. I saw it and I was like, okay, this is 3DS game. I didn't have to think that hard to remember, oh yeah, Nintendo said something about, you know, supporting the 3DS line of systems for like another year or two. So I think this is not the last game that you're going to be seeing on the 3DS alone. There's definitely got to be at least one more, like big, you know, tentpole launch on the 3DS before they're finally axing it. And you saw this with the Game Boy Advance bleeding over into the the DS life life cycle because they prematurely released the DS because of the PSP, you know, blah blah blah. But it had the backwards compatibility, so they could still have the backwards compatibility, but that doesn't really matter because you're still developing a game that uses one screen and it's 160 by 240 and it's much, much weaker than what the DS can do. And it's not sell you're not selling a DS to play a Game Boy Advance game when there's eighty like eighty million Game Boy Advances in the wild, right? So it's just the they're just continuing to support it. Because they said they would, and there are still 60 million people that have 3DSs, and they're not necessarily buying, you know, a Switch to play a port of a 3DS game. Nobody would do that. <laughs> Here's the thing. They wouldn't have had to say that, that Echoes was a port. If they would have just announced it as a Switch game, that would have been great. I expected a Nintendo or a, a Fire Emblem Fates uh, port, you know, with all the DLC included, with, with full HD graphics and, and, you know, all beautified or whatever. I expected that, didn't get it. I think that would have been that would have been a great move. Say the Switch is launching with a port of a game we got last year. There are a lot of people who didn't play that game. I own the game and I only played like nine chapters. I would love to buy an HD version of that game. Okay. But they didn't give us anything about the Switch. Like just anything. Like that whole trailer they showed for Fire Emblem Heroes, which we'll get to. Like that looked beautiful. And it, you know, of course it said not actual gameplay, but I was like, show that and then put Fire Emblem Switch. Like, Nintendo, you you are inevitably going to dis- disappoint us. At, at least lie to us. Like, we know you do that. Just do, why couldn't they have done it here? Why couldn't they have shown that and said that, you know, that not actual gameplay, whatever, but this is the trailer, and then put FE Switch 2018. That would have gotten me hyped. But seeing just this little boring generic typeface and little black font 
on a bland white border. Oh, it's coming, don't worry. And then you just move on to the next thing. I think they had to say something and they didn't necessarily have to make a, a mock-up of fake footage to say we're working on it. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to, but they should have done something more. That's what I'm saying. And if they didn't say anything about them working on a Fire Emblem game for Switch, then people would have been even more mad. Yeah, I mean, they, they had to mention it. I just think it should have been in a larger capacity. Oh, yeah, they couldn't have gotten away without mentioning it. Uh, Fire Emblem Warriors. So we got a little more gameplay. We got a cool little scene of Krom just kicking a whole horde of dudes right in the booty hole. Was big, big, big angry Falchion. However you pronounce that. Falcon? I thought it was fucking... I don't know. Falcon. It's, it's got the CH, so Falcon. I'm gonna say Falchion. Falchion. <laughs> and you know, it's it's Warriors gameplay. It looked like a, a better Hyrule Warriors. Thought it looked like it might have a better visual capacity than the Wii U had with Hyrule Warriors. So I don't know. I mean, I haven't really played a Warriors game before. I played a little bit of uh, your copy of uh, Hyrule Warriors, but I, I might buy this. I don't know. Yo, it looked wonderful. I the gra- graphically, I think it's beautiful. Fire Emblem characters, I think this game is primed to do, to do or it's positioned to do very well. Bandai, is it Bandai? Uh, no, Koei Ko- Tecmo, they're still making Warriors games every other every other year. You know, they're putting out these games consistently and have now for years and years and years. So the games are doing well. There's a market for it. You know, I thought what Hyrule Warriors, I think, was a really great game. And people don't give it credit. You know, no one played it because no one owns a Wii U, but it was... Part love letter to Zelda fans, where they took aspects of, of every Zelda game and all of Zelda lore, kind of crafted this wholly unique narrative using all of these elements. And you know, I haven't, I haven't beaten a lot of the Zelda games, so a lot of it was was like new to me. But the stuff I did recognize and have experienced before, I said, "Oh man, that's really clever how they utilize that." And 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 that was also my first Dynasty Warriors game. So, you know, the gameplay, it gets repetitive. That's kind of the nature of those games. But I was really sort of happy to learn that you know, there are these strategy elements. You know, it's it, you're not just going around and killing things. It, it is a more nuanced game. There is more depth and complexity to it. Fire Emblem, you're basically taking Dynasty Warriors and then giving us characters we give a shit about. Not that Zelda didn't. Zelda did. But a lot of those characters didn't translate to the Dynasty Warriors formula as well. Every single character in every Fire Emblem game translates to that formula very well it's all hand-to-hand like swords and axes and spears combat i could see you know this this could just be like the total mashup that people want you know you're gonna see characters from the entire franchise and it's gonna be it's gonna be cool you know we went to the the fire emblem heroes website and like just that splash screen of you know who who is on that? Just Ike and and obviously Roy and Marth. Krom is on there. Lucina got got Corin, got Lynn from Fire Emblem the the first U.S. game, and they're actually they're introducing new characters in that. I wonder if there's going to be any new characters in Fire Emblem Warriors. I I can't imagine they would introduce. They wouldn't do something earth shattering I mean, like the, that. They, they might. Who knows? We don't know. I think it's more likely that we get a new character introduced in Fire Emblem Heroes. Probably more likely. Which was the thing that they talked about after Fire Emblem Warriors. Yeah, it's the, it's the mobile game, the long-awaited mobile game. And let me just say, I don't know if I have said anything about it on the podcast, but I have been so, you know, I, you know, all my friends ask me, you excited for it? You've been sweating. You've been so worried. No, I said, no, I'm not fucking excited. This is going to be an abortion. We all know it. It's going to be Pet My Waifu. You would play that game. <laughs> well, I'm not saying I wouldn't, but that's not the game I want. <laughs> 
You know, to be fair, I didn't I didn't pet anybody in Fire Emblem Fates. That's that's not what I'm into. I want to play a freaking tactical RPG. And they showed that, dude. I was blown away. This actually looked like a Fire Emblem game. Kudos to Nintendo for doing one thing right. And if, this game could totally suck for all we know, but it looks really cool. I, I'm the only thing I'm marginally worried about is how they're implementing the the pay as you go kind of system. I don't want to feel like I'm locked too much out without, you know, shoveling over a few dollars, which I inevitably will because I can see myself really being like, oh, you know, I really want to unlock Roy. I really want to unlock Elwood. I want Hector. I want Lynn. So I'm a little bit marginally concerned about that. But just from what they've shown, looks like a really satisfying game loop. It's a little bit, you know, watered down uh, as far as the, uh, you know, the, the weapon triangles go, the rock, paper, scissors elements they have with the sword and the axe and the spear. I think that they kind of they had to water that down a little bit. You only have uh, like four characters on your team at once, but then they showed like the characters you can choose from. And there was like 20 guys that they're just like, Oh, I want this one. And this one, and that's so cool. That's always the hardest part about, you know, playing those games it seemed very fully featured for a mobile game. It's, it's interesting to me how they're implementing the battle system, you know, instead of, instead of grinding, building a team, grinding up your stats and, and going through the story, you know, you're, you are summoning these heroes, you know, Fire Emblem heroes. You're summoning these characters from from Fire Emblem past. You're kind of building a who's who, this superstar team uh, of your own choosing. And so they have these orbs that you you earn uh, or you can buy. And you know, I think that's that's going to be a major hindrance to the game. This game is going to you know it's going to sell or it's going to people are going to download. It. It's going to be a huge game. But the Japanese model they're using, kind of thing, that's really going to hurt it. You know, it's I was even looking at pricing. Like 140 orbs for $75 to summon. And you need an orb to summon a character to play. These are the kind of games you hear, you know, a couple times a year. There's an article where some, some, some teenage kid spent $3,000 on a game or some crazy Japanese man spent 10 grand on, on a iPhone lottery game or whatever. You know, it's like, it's like these, these, these gameplay loops that rope you into spending all this money. And obviously we have that here. Right, a lot of our games do that—that that pay pay to play sort of, or pay to win. Almost every big mobile game is a free to play, and then, you know, with microtransactions. And I don't think it's inherently negative. It can leave a lot of people with a a sour taste in their mouth. But I think it's just primarily how it's implemented, and if it's too you know parasitic and boring to play without paying, then that can be kind of annoying. But we'll just have to see how they they implemented it here. Like they, I know they they avoided that with Super Mario Run, but it seems like they were building it like that from the start, and then they kind of switched gears later in the development. So you still see like elements where it could have been pay to play, but I think they were smart with Super Mario Run in particular to be a pay once and then you've got the full thing. And I think Fire Emblem definitely lends itself more to that that style of pay as you go. You know, I, I've harped on on Nintendo's decision with Super Mario Run, where they're charging a fixed price. You know, it's actually not that that I have a problem with. I, I have a problem with how much it was. This looks like a game that I would spend $10 on for the mobile experience, because I'm getting a full-fledged, essentially a full-fledged Fire Emblem game w- with me wherever I go. And, you know, Super Mario Run, I think, is is really great for what it is. And it's it's much more complex than people give it credit for. I think there's, there's you know, I still haven't beaten it, and I, I play it almost every day. There's a lot there, and I don't even necessarily disagree that $10 was a fair price. Like, maybe it was. It, again, it's a principle of the matter is is kind of have an established, you know, a set way of doing things. 
kind of the inherent differences between gaming on a phone, a, a not a non dedicated device versus gaming on a console or a handheld. Ten dollars, I just said, Nintendo, you can't come in here and, and try and change this. Like, there's a way it works. Either f- fall neatly into that, or or don't and suffer. And they suffer because that game had a terrible conversion rate. Had a terrible conversion rate, but they were making ten dollars on every conversion. So if they had twice as much, but they charged three dollars for it, then they're not making money off that. I think Nintendo made enough. So I don't think they they poured millions of dollars and resources into making this game either. So I think it's it's more of them to kind of testing the waters, seeing what their their margins are going to be looking like in the future. And that's beneficial to them, it's beneficial for us, and we'll see with uh this Fire Emblem game which I was thinking that I might be worried for like the other shoe to drop, you know, like waiting for the bad news to come out afterwards, like oh, you have to be online all the time. But I don't think they're going to do that because the main reason they did that for Mario Run was a DRM thing. Like they wanted people to not pirate that game. But this is a free game anyway. So unless they're pirating and like hacking the game to give you like all right. fake orbs, then you're not pirating anything anyway. So yeah. that I think they're this is not going to be an online all the time kind of thing either. So that's going to assuage a lot of people's concerns that they're they had with the the Mario Run kind of fiasco that was. Yeah. Fiasco game. I don't know how how many millions of dollars they made on that on that game. Well, I think they they had to have made, I think, God, I had that number in my head, but they made millions on this thing. So, moving on, more Nintendo Switch news. Just a few little things, some of which may matter, some of which may not matter. I don't know. But before we get into it, I just want to preface it with, if you're listening to this, you know my frustration with Nintendo, and specifically the Switch, but, but going back, Wii U, even the Wii, despite its success... There seems to be this disconnect between Nintendo, the video game developers, and Nintendo, the business, their investors and their financial advisors, and and even obviously even the marketing. There's no cohesion there, and I don't know if this is just a byproduct of sort of Nintendo's traditional sort of ways, or it's just how they've cultivated their company, or or what it is. I don't know. They have this very narrow field of view, and this very sort of old-fashioned mindset, and they keep doing these things that, that seem so out of touch. And I keep saying out of touch, out of touch. It seems that way. It's like they don't understand what everybody else understands. Everybody else in the industry, and for years, almost a decade now, it's 2017, almost a decade, we've been saying this is what Nintendo needs to do to to resonate with the everyday gamer. You know, the Wii was a success, but but gamers hated that machine. And, and Nintendo continues to chase lightning in a bottle instead of just doing what they need to do, listening to their consumers, and, and really do what they need to do to catch up to the rest of the industry. You go back to 2002 with the original Xbox. There's just a, a, a list of, of benchmarks that Nintendo has refused to acknowledge and haven't come close to hitting that are, are now commonplace. And I think they just they need an infusion of young blood in there. You know what I mean? They need to bring in some anybody who who understands the current industry and the current market well i've got two counterpoints already to what you said okay so you said third time they're trying to capture lightning in the bottle i'd say it's their fifth time if you count the ds and 3ds so you got the wii the wii u ds 3ds those are all like gimmicky kind of versions of what they could have been but three out of those were pretty much great successes even the 3ds is a huge success if you compare it to how the Vita sold, which is its only competition in the market. So, 
I would say that they have more reasons than not to think that a gimmicky console will succeed for them versus a powerful console. And then you also said they didn't have enough like younger people in the company forward facing. And that's what the whole switch presentation was. You had the guy that came out. He's like, I'm the lead director of the switch. And he's the one that was introducing one, two switch. He had the, the kind of funny sweater underneath his tan business suit. That's a young dude. Like that dude was like late twenties, early thirties. Kozumi, who was leading the whole presentation, he had never been a like direct guy before, but then he comes out and he kills it. He's got that cool Mario hat on. He's just eating up the scenery. And like, that was fantastic. The guy coming out was like introducing Splatoon. That's a young guy. Like these are, they are now pushing forward. Like they had Kimishima and that was his first kind of thing as the president there. But then they had just young dude, young dude, young dude. And then like all-star developers for Japan, you know, they had Suda51, who's the guy behind No More Heroes and had that terrible interpreter, interpreter fiasco. Like, like that was rough, but he's a wacky guy. Like, and then the, the guy behind the Yakuza series and he just comes out, he's menacing looking, but like they, they really did put forth uh, a huge for Nintendo focus on these younger developers and these younger innovators in the company itself. How much of that is an attempt to, to market themselves to a younger hipper audience knowing that not only are we trying to please investors here, which is typically why you see just the old man in the suit talking about how, you know, blandly as vanilla as possible. This is how this is going to revolutionize the industry. You know, they made an effort. They made an effort, not a strong one, but they made the effort. They brought out these younger people and they're trying to speak to us. They're, they're making an attempt, but the Nintendo isn't being run by these people. They still have these very, these older people, very traditional uh, people, uh, fellas running this. And but here's the thing: they're investors. They want to see green. They want to see dollar signs. Okay, they have a very different perspective and a very different outlook and a very different set of expectations. So when they say we want to see X amount of dollars, we want to see this move this many units and blah blah blah, just the whole thing with the switch coming out and saying it's three hundred dollars. But 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 but. It's got this HD rumble and all these things that they think people want to hear. They think these are the reasons they're going to be successful. We all know it. Your consumers know it. The rest of the industry knows it. We've been talking about it for years. How come you don't know it? Your investors are sitting here saying, this is what we demand. There's a consensus on what you need to do to just make the attempt to join the fucking 21st century. Okay. And here's the thing. I keep saying like, you know, these, these traditional older, you know, I think a lot of what they do works really well for them, right? But like we said last time, there's this disconnect even between Nintendo of America and Nintendo Japan where NOA just serves as marketing and translation, right? Be be you, Nintendo. Do what you do and the way you've done it, but don't be so... They, they seem so resistant to, I mean, any outside influence. They seem so staunchly against. They, they want to do it their way. And any suggestion as to otherwise... It's like an insult to them. It's like they they are deeply morally offended when they hear you know this outside criticism. I didn't articulate that well, but you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying, and I I understand that you want Nintendo to move more towards a uh, closer to like what Xbox and uh, Sony is doing. But at the same time, even Microsoft isn't really succeeding in that market. So I think it just it's kind of boiling down to you don't need like two or three consoles that are in parity with each other. They each need to have something that brings people in. And Nintendo has that with their games and with their quirky little gimmicks that they incorporate. And I really wouldn't want Nintendo to completely 
abandon these cool little things they're doing. Like if the Switch was just, you know, a PS4, that would be a lot less cool to me than a, a handheld that you can plug into your TV and it's got these wacky little wands that can fill with water and they feel like an ice cube cup. And that, that I don't know, that still speaks to me. But most people, it, it doesn't to most people. But I don't care about most people. I'm caring about myself when I'm watching this thing. I'm hearing about the Switch, and I, I, you know, I want Nintendo to succeed, but I don't think this is going to be a drastic failure like a lot of people do. I think they'll probably do better than the Wii U still, because the Switch is much more compelling than the Wii U. It really is. Oh, in every way, I think. Even price-wise, it's cheaper than the Wii U was at launch. I think you absolutely need more than one console. Like we need the competition, but again, with the console twins, it's you know, PS4 is obviously pulled away. So it comes down to you need not only competitive hardware, but you need good games, and Microsoft. I mean, they did hardly any exclusives last gen anyway. They had 10 years and they, they had four exclusive franchises and Sony had like 40, you know? So there's a huge difference there. If Nintendo were to, to bring themselves up to speed with everything else, we're talking online infrastructure, hardware, it'd be, it'd be Sony versus Nintendo. But it takes a long time for online infrastructure to get up and running and to actually work well. Xbox Live started in 2002 and it wasn't until like 2006, 2007 when it actually started like getting good. PS3 had it free from the begin for the beginning, but there was that huge hack in 2011. Like they had they had to get their shit together for a long time. Th- those are two separate components. Those are two separate things, but those are the two examples that I have. Right. What examples do you have of a company just being like, "Oh yeah, internet, let me just flip the switch and then it works." Like it's a lot harder than that. Switch. <laughs> switch. Switch. But I'm hoping that Nintendo cuz they are working with a a third-party company, DNA, D E N A. Yeah, 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 DNA. To, to set up their online services and they've made considerable steps compared to where we were, you know, five years ago. Dude. So I think that is a good sign and we'll see more when they finally announce what like the pricing is going to be like and what the, the UI and the, the way you interact with your friends with the, the device itself and how the app works. If the app is like a smooth experience, then sure, you know, that's, that's going to be fine. It's not like I voice chat with people anyway. And it's a big pain in the ass to try and type a message to someone with an Xbox 360 controller or a PS4 controller or whatever. Nobody wants to do that. A lot of people use the voice chat. And the fact that I need a separate device, I need my cell phone here, and I need to pay you, I need to pay Nintendo for the right to take my phone and call somebody. That's crazy. Can you voice chat on PS4 without having PS Plus? Yes, absolutely. All you need is is a set of headphones. How many people want to buy another headset? It's not proprietary. Any headset. And I also am just saying voice chat, I don't think really matters as much as people are like throwing like their fists in the in the air and screaming to the gods about not having voice chat on a Nintendo console. That's part of the problem. They need to not appeal to Nintendo fans. They need to appeal as, as a ga- dedicated gaming device for everybody. It's not a Nintendo console. It's a video game console. Nobody would be swayed by saying, oh yeah, the system has voice chat. That's not selling anybody. That's not going to be like, oh, finally, now I can buy this thing. Nobody is saying that. That's bullshit. The people not saying that are, are the 12 million people who already own Wii U's. But the other 80 million people who own a current-gen system, they look at this and say, well, why would I want to buy this? You know, it's, it's a kitty toy. It doesn't do any of the things that a video game console should be doing and has been doing since 2002. Are you kidding me? You know, these are integral 
to a thriving online community. And, and that's, that's the reason video game consoles exist anymore. If it weren't for online, you know, we wouldn't be where we, where we are today. Video games would not be the same. You've got six other devices to do that on. It's the principle of the matter, Nick. It's a stupid principle. When those other people don't buy that video game console, it will affect me as it has for the last four years since I've owned a Wii U. Like, that's what it comes down to, is it all comes back to bite those of us in the ass. Those of us who combined, we're about to go drop a thousand dollars, a freaking pretty penny, on the Switch, on the accessories on launch day, only to be rewarded with Nintendo saying, sorry, we fucking failed again. But we don't know we'll, that. We'll make it up to you next generation. At some point, what like, what is the straw that's going to break the camel's back? I don't think Netflix is that straw, and I don't think voice chat is that straw either. Dude, voice chat, you're, you're giving it a total discredit to like how important that is to people. I am, because I've never used it, and I've never wanted to use it, because whenever I hear people talking, I immediately go to any setting I can to mute them, because I do not want to hear other people talk to me, no matter how cooperative the game is. It's just shitty little children screaming about how they fucked my mom. <laughs> but can you... Oh, God. I don't need to hear that. <laughs> like... Call of Duty would have failed with that voice chat. Overwatch would not be the game of the year if you couldn't speak to your opponents or to your teammates. It would it just wouldn't work. And guess what? You're not getting a game like that on the Switch. It's not happening. Hey, but Splatoon didn't have voice chat. And that was a fucking travesty. But that was still a rousing success. <laughs> a rousing success by what metric? The fact that... That's a beloved new IP? I think that's a, a great success. Yeah, it's beloved among Nintendo fans, but nobody played it because no one owned a Switch. Wow, it's beloved among the Nintendo fans? You mean the people that owned a Wii U and were actually capable of playing that game? How weird. Well, guess what? Nintendo isn't going to exist as a company if they're only appealing to 12 million people every fucking five years. I just, again, Nintendo is doing everything they can to shoot themselves in the foot, and if the Switch succeeds, which I hope it does, it will be in spite of everything they've, they've I done. I can think of ten things they could have done worse. Well, I can think of fucking at least 70 <laughs> things I could have done better. Or done it all. Done at all. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> well, you, my friend, are in the minority, and that's fine. But again, I'm looking at these things... When we, I know when we argue and we have these, you know, this discourse is we are very like-minded. I'm going to get my money's worth out of this thing. Just like when I said when I got the Wii U. If all I ever play is fucking Wind Waker, Smash Bros. and Mario Kart, I have, that, that thing is paid for itself 10 times over. So I'm totally on board with you. But I have to look at it as if I am a, a not only a casual fan, but, but, you know, just a third party who isn't as, as, uh, invested because when they're not interested, the console fails and that affects me. You know, I got the Wii U and I think there are a lot of great games on it and we're going down this fucking hole again. I'm just ranting about the Wii U again. I love the system. I think it's fucking great for what it is. I think there are a lot of flaws. It's a terribly flawed system. I mean, just don't get me started on that. It's, it, it is flawed in almost every way, but you know, as a consumer, I, I really hurt by the fact that Nintendo couldn't manage to sell this thing. And so if it happens with the Switch, it's just going to be another expensive, it's going to be a money pit. I understand my frustration. I understand that I'm pulling a Nick and playing devil's advocate here. Uh, but also, these things should matter to, to, to any invested Nintendo fan. It should matter. Yeah, and I, I think it matters to an extent, but I don't think it's the make or break. These little things. Like, it's just little, like, it's a little a little hornet, you know, stinging you. And it's like, ooh, that, that, that hurts, but it's not going to kill you, you know? Can you imagine if we said, like, fucking four, five years, five years ago when they announced the Wii or whatever... Oh my god, it's 2017. They announced the Wii U in 2011? And it came out 2012, so that system is now... That was a winter... Was it Was it winter 2012? Yeah, four and a half years old. We'd be saying the same things back then. We'd say, oh, 
the controller and fucking, oh, there's no Netflix and oh, there's no voice. Like, well, you say, oh, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It's little things. They have Nintendo games. When people are just like shouting about this little thing that I don't really care about personally, then I'm like, why are you mad? Why are you mad about them introducing voice chat even though it's on your phone? Like, yeah, that, that might suck, but what if it's a lot better than you were expecting? I know, again, you don't care about these things, but a lot of people do. And based on the reactions on the internet, you know, trolling forums and Twitter and I don't want to say analysts because they're not analysts. They're assholes who talk about games. Analysts. Anal cysts. Ooh. <laughs> Gnarly. Deep cut. Anal switch. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'd play oh that. My. No. Oh, thank you. We're going to try to try to not do this next time we record is go down the fucking the shithole of the switch hole. It's the deep, dark pit of complaints and anger. It's very sad. But then as soon as I watch like gameplay of arms, I watch people playing Super Bomberman in 2017 on this new system that hype just builds up in me i'm like i'm so giddy at the same oh man i can't i can't not be excited about this i caved in and pre-ordered one two switch did you watch that uh that breath of the wild trailer in english no i have to go check it out the, the japanese one was pretty japanese but like the voices i thought i might be kind of weird about it at first because you know first time for voice acting in a zelda game but dude it made me like tear up it's so it's moving that music zelda just like she's she fucked up and she's so sad and i am sad too (laughs) well hey real quick uh we we've got to wrap this up here uh like 10 minutes ago but real quick earlier we were talking and you said there's something about uh stardew valley coming to the switch uh, uh, the developer for Stardew Valley came out and said that it will not be a launch title, but he's doing his best to get it on the Switch later in the year. What 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 was that that you were reading that you wouldn't you wouldn't let me read? <laughs> okay, yeah, that was that 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 was an official statement from uh, God. What is that developer name? Concerned Ape. Is that this is that funny guy? A cool cool name for his company. Yeah, he's making uh, Stardew Valley for the Switch. It's not coming out at launch. I don't. I don't even know when it's coming out on the systems. That's already out on PS4, right? It's out on PS4 and Xbox One. Yeah. Okay. So I think, who knows how long that's going to take to port over? It's just one guy. But I think he's, a, he's that, hiring. He's hi, uh, He has been working with third uh, third party uh, company to to port the games. He, he's not doing it himself. Great. Great. Yeah. I'm happy about that. It means quicker turnaround. I just wanted to kind of related to that and related to some gripes that you've had in the past. I wanted to bring up uh, to you that it's been confirmed that limited run games are going to be doing uh, Switch games also. Yeah. And I wanted to get a little bit of your take on your experience, you know, trying to acquire these games. So I have a a fundamental issue with a company like limited run games, and I'm just going to try to rush through this since since you've got to get to work. But a fundamental issue with them, whereas whereas companies like, um, oh God, why can't I, why can't I, uh, 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 IndieBox, IndieBox, fucking great company. They're taking these games that that never got physical releases and they're making these beautiful box sets, these wonderful box sets. And now, guess what happens? Those box sets sell out. They become limited. What happens? They come out and release the Steelbook series. And you can just buy these little, you know, you get soundtrack, you get a fully uh, uh, illustrated manual, you know, wonderful pieces. Even if it's not, you know, uh, the special edition, they at least recognize that, hey, people still want physical copies of these games. So we're going to go and we're going to go back to the drawing board and we're going to produce a new version of it that you can go buy for a reasonable price. I just bought freaking Guacamelee for the second time physically and, and Rogue Legacy for $20 a pop. 
Like that is perfectly reasonable. And that soundtrack, manual, steelbook case, beautiful. As a collector, I love that. Limited run is bullshit. I know their name is Limited Run, but fuck those guys because I know the first thing on their, their frequently asked questions list is, you know, oh, your website doesn't work. Your website is broken. I lost out on my game I had in my cart. And their first thing they say is, well, when, when 25,000 people want to come and try to buy a product, uh, uh, at the same time for, you know, for which we only have 5,000 of dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, that's your, Fuck you, dude. If you know there are 25,000 people who want your copy or a copy of your product, make 25,000 copies of that product. Okay? Don't don't force this fucking fake collector's market where instantly these games are, are being scalped on eBay for $100 a pop or more. Make 25,000 copies if 25,000 people want it. And guess what happens? If 30,000 people want it, make 30 fucking thousand copies. These should not, your website should not be crashing every month when these go on sale. And I should be able to, as a consumer, go and buy your product without any fucking hassle. I mean, that is ridiculous to me. So, yay, they're going to be making Switch games. And I'm sure a lot of my favorite games are going to be coming to the Switch. And I won't be able to buy any of them because fuck that company. <laughs> I'm salty. I'm really salty. <laughs> Shout out to IndieBox. You guys are fucking awesome. I love your, your, the way you guys do things. And, and I've given you plenty of money and I will continue to do so. Wonderful guys over there. To massage that just a small amount, I want to give uh, Limited Run just a small fair chance and say it's just two dudes that are hitting up these companies and uh, we don't know what their, their back-end costs are. We don't know what the licensing mumbo-jumbo they have to go through, through like the, the publishers and the developers and all that kind of stuff. And they've already um, not been able to release games physically because of... Uh, them being seen as competition from other publishers. And I, I find that to be like, you know, they've, they're trying, they're doing what they think is like good for that market. And I think you're just kind of on that, on the cusp of that collector market where you're not willing to shell out a hundred dollars for these things, but there are people who are, and they would be, they would be upset if there was like a second run of say, you know, guacamole that they paid a hundred dollars for and they can be like, okay, this is good. I have this item it holds value because there is a set quantity of them. And if there was more introduced, then that would hurt my value. Maybe in retrospect, yeah, like you go out and release a, a, a you know, a copy of, of, of Saturday morning RPG and you sell it for, for $15. Yeah, people who went on eBay and spent 100 plus, they're going to be butthurt. But guess what? Like, don't support the gray market. And if you're a scalper, fuck you and fuck your family too. Because you are everything that is wrong with this fucking industry. And, and, and you were intentionally going out of your way to, to squeeze fucking happiness and joy out of someone else's life. Fuck you. But uh, I, I get that aspect. I get it. And as a collector, as someone who's spent lots of money, more money than I should have uh, on, on a number of items, like I get it. But again, if it were available for me to buy in the first place, like that wouldn't be a concern. Like make 30,000 of them and, and everyone in the world who wants one has one. But then it wouldn't be limited. I don't give a shit. That's such an artificial. I'm just saying this is they're 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 two different parts of a similar community for the collectors, right? You may not appreciate their business model, but there are people who do. So it's a bummer that they can't be released on limited and on, you know, indie box and have different, you know, SKUs have different boxes. Like the the limited run comes with like a cool like signed pamphlet. It's got you know limited like art assets that you don't get to see, and make it a physical worth. But as it stands, you know, it's it's more of a, a quantity versus quality thing, which 
I get why you're angry. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of my perspective into it from the outside. <laughs> even even websites like um, FanGamer have like done it done it better. Their th- their thing isn't about collectability though. That's not their that's not the hinge upon which they are making themselves unique. Sure, and I just again that's why I think it's it's just a bullshit artificial sort of. Just what it, I mean, it's just a dumb mission statement. Like we're gonna go out of our way to intentionally like, and I, again, I don't think it's a licensing thing. Like IndieBox has been able to consistently do it, and and they, they IndieBox is probably a bigger company in general, though. It's two guys. It's I mean they're the same thing. I mean they do things. They, obviously, they're a subscription service, or whatever. But it's two guys. Just just the way that that limited. If they run have is. a more, if they have a more, you know, consistent income, then they aren't like investing what they what they earn. But this this feels like it might be more of like a okay, we spent you know twenty thousand dollars to make these five thousand games, and now we've got you know hundred thousand dollars off selling of them, and then that goes into you know brokering deals and making more of these games. And there's just there's got to be a lot more on the back end that you don't know about. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. There likely is, uh, but at the end of the day, if someone wanted to make it happen, it would happen. Yeah, and you know. These markets breed competition, so we'll see if that comes up, if that's worth the competition, which I don't see happening because there are companies like Fangamer and IndieBox and Limited Run. Well, fingers crossed that that I have a little better luck with the with the Switch. I just want a physical release of like Fast RMX. That seems like a cool game that I want to buy. Yeah, there are a lot of games that 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 deserve physical releases. Snipper clips. I want physical snipper clips word on the street is that nintendo is moving away from physical media based on production numbers of various things and and, and that's that sucks it costs nothing we'll to, to make physical media anyway this has been the console crusade podcast thanks for listening to me become irrationally irate uh we'll see you fucking next time whoop your end has come